Well, it's hard to turn on the TV or pick up the newspaper nowadays and not hear something about global warming. And according to this scientific theory, this threat will eventually destroy the earth. Hundreds of scientists and politicians have made ominous predictions and they currently spend billions of dollars to, to prevent it. Just last year, Vice President Joe Biden stated, Global warming, I'm quoting now, is the greatest threat to our generation above anything else across the board. And the White House followed up when asked to clarify, the president implied that it was a greater threat, it was a greater threat even more so than terrorism, any threat. Al Gore predicted in January 2006 while promoting his documentary, Inconvenient Truth, that unless we took, quote, drastic measures to reduce greenhouse gases, the world would reach a point of no return in 10 years. That was, that was 10 years ago in 2006. He called it a, a true planetary emergency. Yeah. He said that the world would be underwater by, by now. And while he got that prediction wrong, we should probably cut him some slack since he did invent the Internet, right? <laughs> the supposed cause of global warming is man-made. Human expansion is causing what theorists call a greenhouse effect. Most sunlight passes through the Earth's atmosphere and warms the Earth and then is radiated back out into space. And Global warming proponents say that human behavior is changing the atmosphere, thereby trapping the heat and increasing climate temperatures. And they argue activities like deforestation, increased land use, burning fossil fuels like coal and oil, increased carbon dioxide, which hypothetically create this, this climate change. Even people breathing and animals digesting food is supposed to be adding to the plight of greenhouse emissions. Some of the solutions are, are ridiculous. Some of them suggested that we need to find ways, I'm not joking now, to keep cows from passing gas because they release methane and worsen the problem. In fact, to solve this, the Obama administration even proposed cutting these methane emissions from the dairy industry by 25% by 2020. They said the average cow produces as much pollution as a car does in a day. I've got a simple solution for that. Let's eat them. You can't eat a car. Sadly, there have been other more wicked proposals, like population control through increased abortions and sterilizations in order to decrease human population and thereby save the planet. The result feared is unless we stop global warming, polar ice caps will melt, volumes of the oceans will increase and cover significant land masses, changing the ecology of the planet forever. I mean, it's, it's a scary scene, and politicians use it all the time to pass many agendas, whether environmental or, or not. Contrary to what the environmentalists say, the Earth's ecosystem will irreversibly change one day. However, it won't be man-made. It will be God-induced. And after the seventh seal is broken and the contents are revealed, as we saw last week, heaven is silent for half an hour for seeing what, 
what is coming upon the, the earth. And that silence is, is broken by the thunder and lightnings and this burning incense mingled with the prayers of the saints hurled by the great angel to the earth. And Revelation 8 continues with, with seven angels, each blowing their trumpets, announcing a, a, a new judgment. And the first four trumpets are all directed at the earth's ecosystem. The last two, or, the, or number five and number six, involve demonic activity such as the world has, has never seen. And in that day, God will decreate everything by His own hand. And following the, this judgment, He'll create a new heaven and, and a new earth that will last forever, the Bible says. So if you're not there, I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. And we're going to begin reading in verse 6, and we're going to see how the seven trumpets move the earth closer to that day and the ultimate triumph of of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 8, verse 6. So the angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and... A third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, like burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers, and on the springs of waters, and the name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard a an eagle, or an angel, flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels are about to sound. Like the seals and the bowls, the the trumpets have four initial judgments with a pause and then the, the final three which are which are much much worse and and John describes these 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 seven trumpets and we're going to look at first four today and and he outlines them in these verses verses 6 through through 18 in, in a very straightforward way he describes one-third of the earth is is burned one-third of the the sea is is bloodied one-third of the, the waters, the drinking waters, are embittered, and, and one-third of the luminaries, or the, the sun and the moon and the stars, are, are, are blackened. And he begins in, in verse 6 and shows us this first trumpet in, in verse 7. And in this first trumpet, he, he begins and he describes fire, hail, and, and blood. The scene begins with the angels readying their trumpets to blow, and this first blast consumes one-third of the, of the land. The seven angels who are given their trumpets place the, 
the horns to their mouths, and one after another they, they blow. And as we saw last week, the trumpet blasts are an announcement. In this case, it's an announcement of, of God's judgment. And, and when the first trumpet blows, hail and fire mixed with blood is thrown upon the earth, and a, and a third, the result is a third of, of creation on dry land is, is consumed. In Genesis 1-9, in the original creation, God begins to... He speaks the world into existence, and then He begins to form it. And He begins to form the world in, in distinct parts. He, he gathers the waters, verse 9 says, under heaven in one place, and causes the, causes the, the dry land to, to appear. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let dry land appear, and it was, it was so. And then verse 10, he called the dry land earth and, and the waters were gathered together and he, and he called them seas and God said that, that it was good. After forming these separate regions, God begins to fill those, those regions. And you see that pattern in, in creation. In verses uh, 11 and 12, he says, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is their seed, each according to its kind. Thus the earth brought forth vegetation. So God creates the environment for the, for the plants and the trees to grow. Then he creates these mature varieties, each after its own kind with the ability to reproduce. And God says his original creation was, was perfect. It had everything necessary to continue, everything necessary to flourish. He, he commands man and beast to be fruitful and multiply. He doesn't say that to the, to the, to the vegetation because it does that on its own. It's, it's inherent as part of, uh, of creation. And now God in judgment decreates. He unleashes His wrath on, on this part of creation and He destroys a third of it. We can't even begin to comprehend what what creation looked like prior to, the, prior to the fall. Have you ever imagined what it was like to look upon the, the beauty of the earth before the fall? I mean, it was an, it's unfathomable. When you're blown away whenever you look at the magnificence of a, of a flower petal. I saw a, a, uh, uh, a commercial for 4K TV, whatever that is, the, the newest version. But it actually showed a, a rose and a petal of a rose with a drop of water on it. And the, I mean, just the, you're blown away by technology, but more so just the, the, the beauty and the majesty. That you can see just the little veins and the different colors. You're blown away by the majesty of a redwood tree. And when you, when you look at that, when you think about that, you're looking at those things. I'm looking at those things through through corrupted eyes, eyes that have been corrupted by the fall, and a creation that's been tainted as well. You can't comprehend the beauty. I don't think we can also comprehend what the earth will be like when a third of the vegetation is destroyed. Smoke alone from such an event will choke out breathable air, and it will be virtually impossible to go outside or even travel. I don't know if you remember, but you may have heard on the news, or if you traveled, this may have affected you, but last year there were a number of planes that were rerouted over Europe because of a, because of a, a volcanic eruption that happened, I believe it was, in, in Iceland. And due to the ash cloud being caught in the jet stream, it pulls it over Europe and the, and the, the planes can't go through it and they, they can't go uh, around it. This happens on a, on a regular basis. The largest disruption like this happened in 2010 
and it caused the greatest air traffic shutdown since World War II. 95,000 planes were canceled across Europe in a six-day ban, accounting for over 48% of total air traffic control and roughly 10 million passengers stranding people in airports. I mean, you couldn't fly. They said the economic cost of, of that event was $1.7 billion over that, over that period. Here is a picture of the, the ash cloud. You probably can't see it, but there's a little red dot at the, at the bottom here. You see this little red dot right here? That's where, the, that's where the volcano is. And this is the ash cloud. This is the United States, and you can see it basically covers covers Europe from one single volcano. Imagine what it will be like with a, with a third of, of all of the, the earth on fire. Here's a picture of a single volcano from, from space and what it looks like polluting the atmosphere. Here's what it looks like in Japan whenever ash is actually falling. From a, from a volcano. Here's the aftermath of that ash falling on the ground. Imagine what it will be like when a third of the earth is on fire. The air will be polluted, breathing almost impossible. The sky filled with haze and everything will grind to a halt. The atmospheric changes caused by smoke will, will trigger violent thunderstorms which will produce large hail. Have you ever been caught in a hailstorm? Well, here in Virginia, we don't get very many of those, and whenever we do, they're, they're not that severe. But if you've lived out west, you know what a, what a real hailstorm is, is like. Here's a picture of one out west. And as you know, those hailstones can become very large. There are pictures of, of others much larger than that. Here's a picture of a poor fellow who got caught in the middle of a hailstorm. You know what it does to a vehicle. This is what it does to a human being. Henry Morris suggests that this, this blood mentioned from this fire and this, this, this hail may actually be blood from people and animals. Or it could be descriptive of water vapor mingled with ash. The water vapor might be so contaminated with dust and gases it, it can appear blood red. And regardless, there will be no place to escape with a third of the earth on fire. And that's just the first angel. The second angel unleashes, unleashes destruction on the, on the sea. Look, if you would, at verse 8. It says, Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were, were destroyed. John describes here a great mountain burning. Describes the seas bloodied. And he describes ships destroyed. The second angel blows. And a massive volcano rises in the sea, burning and spewing fire. And the result is a third of the creatures in the sea die. So many that the water churns red with, with their blood, and a third of the ships are destroyed with this calamity. 
it's very similar to, on a much smaller scale, the, the, the plagues that happened in Egypt. As a matter of fact, there's a number of these trumpets that mirror the, the plagues. And in Exodus chapter 7, verses 20 through 21, when Pharaoh refuses to heed the warning of Moses, God turns the, turns the Nile into, into blood. So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile and in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the water that was in the Nile was, was turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And, and the blood was throughout all of the, the land of, of Egypt. Just like the, the Nile, the reason that that was so significant, it was, the, it was the first plague, it was so significant because the Nile was significant for, for Egypt. It, it produced food, it produced water, it was used for irrigation, it was used for commerce, it was used for, for a number of things. Their food supply was dependent upon the Nile, and Egypt's survival was dependent upon the Nile. And I don't know if you've thought about this, but the sea is necessary for, for our survival in, in life today. I mean, the ocean is an amazing ecosystem, and it was created by God for, for our blessing. Much of the earth's oxygen comes from the plankton and the algae that's, that's in the oceans. Rain that falls on the land gets its moisture from the, from the oceans. The oceans have differing temperatures to, to accommodate the the life that's, that, that's in them. If you go to the beach at the wrong time, you know that there's differing temperatures that's, that's there. If we go to Outer Banks on, on vacation, and depending upon where you're at on the Outer Banks, it's almost like a, like a boomerang or a dogleg that comes down. If you get on the upper side, you have the waters from the, from the north that's coming down, and the water there is much, much colder than it is on the, on the southern side. And all of that's part of, part of God's plan. Accommodates different temperatures for the life that's in them. It's estimated that there are no less than 1 to 10 million species of marine life living in the sea. Now, 1 to 10 million, I thought... Well, couldn't they come up with a, a better uh, prediction than that? I mean, that's a pretty wide spread. I mean, there's 9 million between. The reason that the range is so wide is the ocean is so large that two-thirds of the ocean has never been discovered, has never been explored by man. Two-thirds of the ocean. And that's not counting the, 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 the trenches there, the Mariana Trench or otherwise, that, that we can't even get to. You think about the oceans, the oceans are, are salt water, which keeps them clean. I mean, think of, think of how putrid the ocean would be if it was fresh water with all the stuff going in it and the things dying in, in the ocean. And God designed it that way. Salt water, which keeps them clean, and the rising and the falling tides, which is controlled by the, uh, the rotation and gravity of the earth and the sun and, and the moon, it keeps the oceans constantly moving like a giant washing machine, and the movement scrubs the waters and helps break down the, the shells and, the, and the, the rocks and the, and the coral and the decaying matter that's, that's there. And eventually it either moves to the bottom or up on the, up on the shore. The sand that you and I enjoy 
walking on is a result of this process. Once, once a shell or a rock that's been pulverized, and, and now even that sand serves as a buffer for the waves. As the waves crash on the sand, it, it cushions the waves and keeps the waves from running too far on the land, being salt water and destroying the vegetation that's on, that's on the earth. The sand absorbs the pounding of the waves, keeps them from running inland, and it also acts like a giant filter. It strains smaller contaminants as the water seeps through the sand as it's being pulled back out into the, into the ocean. Of course, all of this is a product of random chance without any design whatsoever, right? I mean, you have to be a complete idiot to believe that. The intricate ecosystem. This intricate ecosystem will be sent into turmoil at the second trumpet. Temperatures will rise, the volcanoes, tides will change, inhabitants of the sea will die, and the, the waters turn into a putrid pool of blood. No fishing for food, transportation will be hindered, and those who attempt to brave the waters, a third of those ships will will be destroyed. The weather patterns will be affected with the I mean with the, the change in the water temperature combined with the smoke from the fires, it's hard to imagine what the weather will be like. Very little rain and what does come will be will be violent. Just think of how much of the earth's population today depends upon fish from the sea to eat. I mean you go to Kroger's or Walmart or wherever it it, it might be. Most of the earth's population goes to the sea to feed itself. Think about how much of the global economy is based on shipping travel. I actually tried to find out how many ships make a transatlantic trip just, just, from, just from Europe to, to the U.S. in a single year, and I couldn't find it. But, but it's massive. third of that will be destroyed and financial markets will collapse as a result. As you can imagine how everything is interwoven. But that's not the only water source that's affected by the, by the trumpets. One third of the waters are, are embittered, the drinking waters. And John describes in verses 10, a great star falling and, and these waters made bitter or poisoned. Look at verse 10. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. The name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. John sees another angel, and he blows the trumpet. This blazing star falls from heaven and poisons the earth's drinking waters. The, the word that he uses here for, for star is aster, which, which is, can be any, any heavenly body other than the sun or the, of the moon. It's likely a meteor because it says it's burning like a torch. If you've ever got the privilege to see a meteor coming through the sky, it's got this tail. It looks like a, it looks like a torch. Somebody just taking a torch through the night like that. And as it reaches the atmosphere, it, it disintegrates. 
And upon its breakup, the particles fall into the rivers and the streams and the springs contaminating the, the water and everything that it touches. This star is given the name Wormwood because of its deadly effects. The, the word means bitter or poison. Wormwood is actually, a, is actually a shrub. It's actually a bush. And its leaves are extremely poisonous. And it's used to even make a, a liqueur called absinthe. And it's so toxic that it's illegal to make in some countries because the people that, that produce it end up, end up dying. I mean, think about that. Only mankind would be stupid enough to make poison and drink it. And God uses the name Wormwood three times in the Old Testament to describe poisoned waters. The word's actually used eight times in the Old Testament, but three specifically directed to, to waters. Jeremiah 9.15 is a good example. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood and give them the poison water to drink. God talking about judgment. The result of this, this star will be it contaminates the, the earth's drinking water. Something else that you've probably noticed on the, on the news lately, you've been hearing a lot about the Flint, Michigan water crisis. Have you been hearing about that? People have, have, have been drinking contaminated water from pipes that's been used to move the water from the reservoir to, to the city. And you've seen the pictures, some for, for effect, obviously, in, in clear bottles and and they hold the bottles up, and, and the water is, is brown. It's some dark brown, some tinged water. It, I mean, it's unfit to drink. You, you wouldn't drink it. It's a very, very sad situation. But what's even more deadly than the, than the brown in the water that, that, that you can see and they can see is, is, is the lead in the water that they can't see. Water that may look good to the eye can have other things in it that you can't see. Any of you that have been to, to Mexico and faced Montezuma's Revenge know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You know all too well that there are things in the water <laughs> that you can't see. There's bacteria and parasites that can make you deathly ill in just a, in just a few hours. But there are other contaminants that can kill you slowly. Lead and arsenic and mercury... They have no color or taste, but they destroy your organs, and eventually they, they kill you. And this single massive meteorite, when it slams into the earth, it, it spreads these, these particles, these, these traces of things, and makes the water unfit to drink. That combined with the, the sea's contamination and the air pollution, many people will die. And all of that is just in the first three trumpets. The fourth trumpet, one-third of the, of the luminaries are, are darkened or blackened. He describes the sun and the moon and the stars. He describes light and how it was, was darkened. Verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a, and a third of the sun was struck, 
a third of the moon and a third of the stars. So that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. As the fourth angel sounds the trumpet, the focus shifts from the earth to, to the sky, to the heavens. And while everyone is still reeling from these ecological judgments on the earth, the fourth disaster brings darkness, smiting the sun and the moon and the third of the stars. The word that's used here for smitten is from the noun plague. The heavenly bodies are, are hit with a plague from God. And that plague causes a third of them to be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and, and the night the, the same way. Again, it's very similar to the ninth plague brought upon Egypt in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 22. Darkness falls. There's another time in the Bible when darkness falls, and that's when the Lord Jesus Christ is, is hanging on the cross. I hope you're seeing the parallels between the judgment that Christ bore and the judgment that was upon Egypt and the judgment that is, is to come. The silence of God at the cross, the darkness at the cross. If you've ever been to Alaska at, uh, at peak summer or winter, you, you can partially understand what, what this fourth trumpet is, you may be like. In the summer, there are days when the sun never sets and... I mean, it's crazy. You, you can go on YouTube and other and see people playing, you know, baseball at 2 a.m. in the morning. I mean, it's just absolute bright. It's, it's, it's sunshine everywhere. Daylight around the clock because of the curvature of the earth and how high it is and, and the sunlight hits it even though it's, it's on the other side. And, and in the winter, the reverse happens. The, there are days when it's dark all the time. The difference in this judgment is that the sun won't just be behind the earth. It will be partially dimmed in some way throughout all of the earth, a third of it. And the same will happen to the stars and the moon. And while it's partial, the loss of heat coming from the sun will cause temperatures to plummet drastically. And this is going to be a period of, of global cooling, not global warming. I mean, you think how much warmth that we get from the sun. Think of the, the places that are, that are almost uninhabitable on the earth where the sun doesn't shine in the, in the polar ice caps. Think about how nothing grows in the growing season and, and take a third of the sun's energy and a third of the sun's light and a third of the sun's heat and remove it and think about how different things will be. The change in the temperature will further disrupt weather patterns and, and the tides and unleash even more unpredictable storms. This is a terrifying time, people. And you do not want to be here. Isaiah 13 speaks of, of this time. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel and with fury, burning anger, to make the land a desolation. And He will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. Ezekiel 32. 
And when I extinguish you, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars, and I will cover the sun with a cloud, and, and the moon will not give its light. All the shining lights in heaven I will darken over you, and I will set darkness on your land, declares the Lord God. First four trumpets. And all this dimming of the sun sets a stage for, for an ominous warning. Look at you, what at verse 13? Here's the pause between the trumpet judgments. And I looked, and I heard a, an angel, or literally an eagle, flying through the midst of heaven, crying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Why? Because of the, the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Eagle, it's a strong bird of prey, crying in a loud voice for all to hear. About the trumpets that are yet to come, they're far worse. It's a triple woe. It emphasizes how serious it's going to be. Anytime the Bible, anytime God wants to emphasize something in the Bible, the word is repeated. You, you, you probably think of the Lord Jesus when He was giving instruction. He would say, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, or truly, truly. And we, we heard in Revelation, you, you've read in Isaiah, where the angels around the throne, we sang it this morning, cry, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Here the announcer cries, Woe, woe, woe. Jesus didn't even pronounce a triple woe on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, Woe unto you. This is a triple woe. And the woe is pronounced upon the inhabitants of the earth. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. It's a, it's a phrase that's used in the Bible for those who reject the gospel. And all the people not raptured, all the people not sealed of the 144,000 that are left on the earth, they, they've already acknowledged, they will acknowledge that all of these things that, that are coming, these calamities are coming from God. We saw at the end of the seals, in, this, in the sixth seal, they... They, they cry out to creation for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon them, to hide them from the one who sits upon the throne. They, they know where this is coming from. They know this is God. They know this is judgment. And yet they will not repent. Even in judgment, the depth of their depravity, the depth of their rebellion is so strong that John declares in Revelation 9, Verse 20, the rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and of stone and of wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk and obviously can't save. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Think about that. In the midst of all of this going on, you saw when 9-11 came upon the United States, there was a period, a very short period, where everyone's attention was, was drawn to God. 
Some of it was a mockery of God, these ecumenical things where no gospel and, and no, no, no truth of Christ was proclaimed. But, but people's attention was captured at that moment. And that's not very many years ago. And here, even while this is falling upon the earth, and I know it's not Islamic terrorists that's bringing, it's God Himself. They refuse to repent. They refuse to repent toward God. They refuse to believe upon Christ. They refuse to even stop their, their thefts and their murders and their immoralities. And sadly, the inhabitants of the earth will be destroyed because they refuse to heed God's warning. It's like the warning that He gives you today. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. You hear His voice? heard his voice from the word this morning do you hear with spiritual ears something inside that's saying this is true this is right something inside that's saying i'm not right with god i am someone who bears the the judgment the role of the holy spirit is to convict this the world of sin righteousness and of judgment the word convict means to convince it's the Holy Spirit's job to convince with the preaching of the gospel, with the proclamation of God's Word. As God's Word goes forth, the Holy Spirit takes that Word, not words of men, but the words of the living God, and the Holy Spirit energizes that. And He opens your eyes. And He brings conviction. And He points you to your sin, and then immediately from your sin to, to the answer, the only answer, which is just Christ. If you sense something inside, I'm not trying to be mystical. You know what I'm talking about. You who have believed upon Christ know what that feeling of conviction is. If you sense that, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not your own heart. I can guarantee you it's not your own heart. It's obviously not the devil. <laughs> Romans chapter 3 says, There's none that understands, there's none that seeks after God. If you feel something in your heart this morning, it's not you seeking God, it's God's Holy Spirit working in you. And now you need to respond. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. That's your response. Don't harden your hearts. Obey. Repent. Believe. Turn to Christ. Turn to the only provision that's there. That's God's gracious work. And you have to respond. And the question is, will you? Lay down your arms. Bow the knee to Christ. Stop trying to pretend to do whatever it is on your own. And lay the full weight of heaven, of whether you'll enter heaven, whether your sins will be forgiven, whether you have any hope whatsoever upon the work of Christ. And you say, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. You're basically saying, God, if you don't, I can't. I, I, I am fully trusting 
in the provision of Jesus. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Because you don't want to be one of the inhabitants that's, that's on the earth. And I can promise you, Jesus is a friend of sinners, isn't He? Praise His name. Don't you bow your heads? The friend of sinners turns into the righteous judge. We saw last week God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but His justice demands it. And that's why His justice was satisfied and poured out upon the cross. And all that needs to be done has already been done in Jesus. He accomplished it. And you respond in faith and repentance. Father, I confess to you that that emotionally I find I have to disconnect myself at times from this text. It's just overwhelming. I mean, we see movies and we hear about things, but nothing like this, Lord. It, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine. It's impossible to imagine unless you give us eyes to see what you do. And you think of the millions that will perish. It's, it's overwhelming. But, Father, in the midst of that, people will be saved because of your mercy. And before that day ever comes, you have people all across the planet, even in this room this morning, preaching the good news of the gospel. There's hope in Jesus, forgiveness of every sin. And I pray, Father, for those who have, who have, who have never believed that today would be the day in which they don't harden their hearts and they'd enter into the kingdom and the angels would rejoice. And I ask that for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.